0: Hey,
1: welcome to New City Online. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this is your first time tuning in, we're glad you're here. If you'd like to let us know you're here, you can do so at newcity.us slash connect. You can fill that form out online and I'll be in touch with you this week about next steps. Here at New City, we want to be known as a generous church. As followers of Jesus, we believe that God has entrusted us as stewards of the resources he's given to us resources like our time and our talents and our finances part of living a fully devoted life to king jesus is trusting him with all those things and letting him use them to advance his kingdom here on earth if you'd like to support the work and ministry here at new city you can do so at newcity.us give now let's continue to worship together
0: Father, this is our prayer this morning, that you show us how to love. Show us how to love like you love, God. You are a firm foundation, a sure foundation. You are a cornerstone. You are the chief cornerstone, a safe and sure foundation. We can build our lives on, on you and only you, Jesus.
2: The handwriting is on the wall, your your days are numbered. Have you ever used those expressions? You're actually quoting from our text today in Daniel chapter 5. Those two idioms sort of keep the story alive. The handwriting is on the wall, your days are numbered. Those are straight out of the story. Of Daniel. So if you've been following along with us, we're in chapter 5 today, and I would invite you, wherever you might be, to, to turn there with me as we continue the story of Daniel following God no matter what. Today is actually the last of the first part of Daniel, the first part of his story. We'll finish here in chapter 5, and we'll continue later this month with part 2. And it ends with a party. I mean, a party of all parties. But before we get there in chapter 5 as you're turning there, let me just give a little bit of context of where we've been in the first couple of chapters. You'll remember the story of Daniel begins in the summer of 605, BC. He's 15 years old in Jerusalem, and the Babylonians come and they, they siege Jerusalem. They, they come and they take it. They take uh, objects from the temple where they worshiped God. Uh, they take the, the young generation of leaders and nobles away and bring them as exiles and captives to Babylon to kind of indoctrinate them, if you will, into the Babylonian empire. And what's so interesting, because this is going to appear in our story today, If you want to really destroy a group of people, a a country or a kingdom, take their next generation. Take the next generation of leaders, the best and the brightest, and indoctrinate them with a, a, an ungodly kingdom or a, a pagan kingdom. That's exactly what happens in Babylon, and Daniel is a part of that. He He's taken from Jerusalem to Babylon in a way to, to destroy the people of God. And, and, and then we see the story, like the first seven verses, this play out, like the Babylonians come, they take him away, and it's a sad story, right? The first seven verses in chapter one, the, the opening of Daniel's story. And, and if it ended right there, it'd just be another sad story in the world. But the reason why we're even here today continuing to tell the story of Daniel and him following God no matter what is because he resolved in his heart that he was gonna do just that that no matter what happened in his life, he was going to choose to look to God and follow him. Those three words in Daniel 1 verse 8 are kind of like the pivot point of his whole story. Those three words, but Daniel resolved. He made a decision in his heart that no matter what happened next, he was going to choose to follow God, to honor him, to be humble. And, And I wonder what that could look like in your life that you would make a decision in your heart, that no matter what happens tomorrow or in the days to follow, that you're gonna look to God, you're gonna be humble, you're gonna follow him no matter what. I've noticed in, in Coach Rules on, on his arm, like uh, on the sleeve of his shirt, he's got a little phrase, what's next? And I looked that up, you can go look it up for yourself, because it says what's next, but it's not a question, it's an exclamation mark. And, and what I learned was that it's something that he's used at every team he's come into. like hey, no matter what happens next, like we're gonna embrace it and we're, we're gonna be who we are and we're gonna resolve to, 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 to be a team and, and do all the things that we've said we're gonna do. And I wonder what that could look like in our own spiritual lives and journey. Like I think Daniel's a great example of what's next. Think about all the things that happened just in the first four chapters that we've we've covered so far. And in all those circumstances and situations, he's just chosen no matter what comes next, I'm going to follow God no matter what. You know, like I've I've heard like personal preparation like, you know, pe- people like you know, they 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 kind of step into greatness when their preparation meets opportunity. Have you heard that before? And really, that is some of the story of Daniel, but it's really more about his godliness, like his personal godliness, meeting like a moment in the world. You know, it's, 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 you know, there's, there's that, that phrase, like an overnight discovery, like they were just, there are no overnight discoveries. Like there, there, there's no overnight successes. You know, p- people over time choose to follow God. They choose to, to really invest, you know, in, in who God's made them to be. And no matter what happens next, they're, they're gonna embrace the story of God and follow him. That's the story of Daniel. And that brings us to chapter five, this, this final part uh, of our series, this first part, uh, and the story of Belshazzar and this, and this the and the party that he threw. So let me just start by reading the first couple of verses from Daniel chapter five to you. Many, many years later, All right, we'll talk about the context of how many years. Many years later, King Belshazzar gives a great feast, this huge party, for a thousand of his nobles. And they drank wine and they partied together. Verse two, while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in gold and silver cups that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, back to chapter one, when they came and took all those things from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted, Belshazzar, he said, it says he wanted to drink from them, and he wanted to drink from the, from, the, from the vessels with his nobles and his wives and his concubines. So they brought the gold cups taken from the temple, from the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines, they drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised, listen to this, they praised their idols that were made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Belshazzar threw a party and it was a party like you've never seen and they they drank and they they celebrated and they were loud and and when we meet Belshazzar for the first time here in chapter 5 it refers to Nebuchadnezzar who we remember in the first four chapters as his father but actually Belshazzar wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's son he was in the lineage of Nebuchadnezzar but it was several generations later in fact it's been 23 years since Nebuchadnezzar died. And there's been four Babylonian kings between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. We're gonna see that one of the problems with this young king that parties with his friends here in chapter five is that he doesn't know his own story. He doesn't remember the things that have happened in Babylon that have set him up uh, to be the king. And and really, moreover, in context, Belshazzar was never the actual king of Babylon. His dad, Nebonidus, was the king. And his dad was off fighting the Medes and the Persians and trying to expand the kingdom of Babylon. And what's so interesting, just to take a step back for a second, is that Nebuchadnezzar, as Belshazzar's father, is off trying to expand the kingdom of Babylon. But actually, the best way to preserve Babylon would be to pour into his son and remind him of the stories that have happened. But he doesn't do that. Belshazzar, like, is kind of like this brat that doesn't know his own story, that's a a person of privilege, but he's done nothing to really understand that or to deserve it. He's a fill-in for his dad, and so he's reckless. I mean, think about this. As crazy as Nebuchadnezzar was, Nebuchadnezzar never took the vessels from the temple of God and partied with them. Belshazzar takes this to a, to a, a whole different level. And one of the neat things historically is we know that this night, because of the records of the Persians, We know that this night where Belshazzar throws this party in chapter 5 takes place on October the 12th, 539 B.C., so so over 2,500 years ago. And what's crazy in context is that chapter 1 opens with the city of Jerusalem under attack, and it's from the Babylonians. And chapter 5, another city is under attack, and it's Babylon. All these years have gone by, 66 years, in fact, since Daniel heard the the footsteps, if you will, of the mighty great Babylonian army coming to Jerusalem to to conquer and to take him away. And now on this evening, October the 12th, 539 BC, it's the Medes and the Persians who are on the doorstep of Babylon, and this is going to be the last night that Babylon exists. When Daniel's city, Jerusalem, just think about this, When Daniel's city, Jerusalem, was under attack, when he's being taken away from his family forever, when the vessels and the objects of worship are being taken from the temple, it humbled Daniel, and he resolved in his heart to follow God no matter what. When Belshazzar, when his city, Babylon, is under attack, he humiliated himself. He didn't humble himself. He humiliated himself, and he prepared to party. That that was his answer, was just just to party and have fun and drink and to think that nothing could ever get to him. And this sort of, if you think about it, this sort of summarizes the entire Babylonian empire and rule and reign. You know, Isaiah the prophet wrote about Babylon. Remember what he wrote? I am and there is none beside me. So think about this. Uh, Belshazzar is partying with his friends. They're taking the objects from the temple the, of the worship of the Most High God. They're filling them with wine and drinking and celebrating. He doesn't remember any of his story. And here's the deal. 50 miles away from the party, his dad, Nebuchadnezzar is fighting the Medes and the Persians and trying to protect the Babylonian Empire, and he's being defeated. Just two days before, his dad, Nebuchadnezzar has been defeated. The Medes and the Persians are on the march to the city of Babylon and Belshazzar as the king is partying. His dad was probably killed and his answer was just to drink and be merry with his friends. He believes that because of the walls of of, of Babylon that nothing can get to him. That they're impenetrable. That it doesn't matter if armies are on the move and on the march, like nothing can really affect him. He thinks that he's living in the the safest place in the world. In fact, Babylon the city, like they were so proud of their walls. I brought a picture for you to to see like what it could have looked like during that time. They had spent like years constructing this and building these high walls that nobody could come into. and it's it's um, reported that they had 20 years of supplies within the walls. So they had prepared for any kind of attack to come from the outside, and they just felt like inside of here, like nobody could touch them. And I wonder what, like, that represents for you. You know, maybe it's like you look at your bank account every morning, and it's like, ooh, well, here's my walls. Like, nothing can get to me. The world's crazy, but I'm okay. I'm safe. Uh, you know, maybe it's like a relationship, or maybe it's like a physical place, like your house, like Hey, this is mine, and I've built this and I've constructed it, and like nothing can, I'm secure, nothing can get to me. And what we're gonna learn in this story as we read through chapter five is that there's no place in the world that we can escape from the hand of God. And that, like when I say that, like there's no place in your life, there's no place in the world that we can escape the presence of God and the hand of God. And that could be like on one hand, if you feel like super lonely, and you feel like maybe God and other people have forgotten you, you feel alone, you feel confused, maybe disappointed with where you are in life, that could be like a comfort, and you need to just soak that in and rub it into your heart, that there's no place in the world that you could go to escape God's presence where he can't find you and where his hands can't reach you and shepherd you. That That's a great comfort, right? It could also be, conversely, like it was for Belshazzar, terrifying, to think that like this is my kingdom, nothing can get to me. And 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 now in the story that we're gonna read, there's a hand writing on the wall. The, the the very message of God to us. You know, the psalmist said, If if I ascend into the heavens, you're with me. If I descend into hell, you're with me. There's there's no place I can go to to flee your presence. Again, that could be incredibly comforting to you today, or it could be, it could be terrifying let's let's read you know belshazzar's response as as the hand begins to write on the wall beginning in verse 5 suddenly during the middle of this great party they saw the fingers imagine this just for a moment in your mind's eye the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace and it was near the lampstand stand and just real quick the lampstand was an important object of worship. It was opposite from the showbread, the the, the bread of the presence in the temple. And this is probably the very lampstand that that stood by the the bread of the presence uh, in the temple of Jerusalem. And now it's being used to illuminate the hand of God on the walls in of the palace in Babylon and the king himself Belshazzar saw the hand as it wrote and his face yeah right his face was pale with fright and his knees not together in what fear and his legs gave way beneath him and the king shouts right in the story he shouts for the enchanters the the the, the wise men you know all of these the, uh, the the people of uh, the nobles the fortune tellers to be brought before him and this is an old play in in the babylonian playbook to bring these fortune tellers and mystics and and people who can supposedly look into the future and interpret and he commands them you know like i'm going to i'm going to give you all these gifts if you'll just tell me uh, what it means and they come in and none of them can read the handwriting on the wall right? Again, where our expression comes from. They, they can't read it, and so they, they, they can't interpret it. And and he grew even more alarmed, the scripture says here in verse 9. And his face turns pale, and his nobles, all the thousand people that were there partying, like, you know, it's, this is like a record scratch moment. Like, the party stops, and everybody is just terrified. Imagine, again, a hand writing on the wall these words, and they can't figure out what it says and what it means, and then here's something really interesting. Look at it with me in verse 10. The queen mother comes into the room. She hears about it. Like, she hears the music stop, you know, the party stops, and she comes down into the banquet hall. And what's going on? And she sees the handwriting and whatever, and she reminds Belshazzar, hey, there's a man in your kingdom, which actually really isn't his kingdom. Um, there's a man in your kingdom that can interpret dreams. The spirit of the most high God is within him. And, and he can solve problems and he can um, figure out riddles and and he can interpret this you you, sh- you should bring him uh in here his name is daniel you know, verse 6 that you know it's this is a miracle right the handwriting on the wall it's a it's an only god miracle i mean we we still use the phrase today it goes all the way back to this miraculous moment in daniel 5 with God giving a message with a, a physical hand writing words on a wall it's it's incredible and yet uh, miracles, they're meant, to do, they're meant to increase our faith, right? But for Belshazzar, it, it, it increases his fear. In fact, it says he's, he's terrified. There, there's no amount of partying and drinking and women that can cover up his great fears. And the Bible says here that his thoughts, check this out, his thoughts alarmed him. You know, your, your thought life is so important. And, and we get an insight into the psyche of a young king, Belshazzar, who doesn't know his story, who doesn't know the Most High God, who's not humble at all, and his thoughts even terrify him. What The, the, the thoughts that he's thinking and, and the things that God is putting in his mind and the fears that he has in his heart, they alarm him. And so he says, you know, bring in the wise men. We remember them from the, the first four chapters. They're brought in multiple times to try to interpret these miracles that God is doing, and they can't. And once again, they're unable to. But then the queen, who's probably Belshazzar's mother, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, um, she says, hey, you, you remember this guy named Daniel? Like, he, he, he's able to, to interpret dreams. She's sort of the quote-unquote grown-up in the room, even though we get a picture that she's just enabling her, her her brat son. She's letting him party. She's letting him do all these things. And finally she comes in the room, and she has a moment of saying like, Hey, there's someone in your kingdom who follows the Most High God that could probably tell you what this handwriting means. Here's the amazing thing, guys, because when we meet Daniel, he's 15, right? It's 66 years later, so he's 81 years old. Daniel's 81 and he's brought back into this room with another Babylonian king, another proud king who thinks it's all about him and his eating and drinking and being merry while the world crumbles around him. This is 63 years after Daniel first stood before Nebuchadnezzar, and now he's standing before another Babylonian king. And this is really the end of Babylon, this chapter. Uh, Belshazzar is the is the last Babylonian king, and everything ends right here in chapter five. But uh, l- let me let me just Daniel comes in the room. Let me just read what happens in verse 13. Uh, he's brought in before the king, and the king asks him, This is this is just amazing. Are you Daniel? Daniel's been there all along, and he and he's never listened to Daniel, he's never met Daniel. Um, we're we're inferencing here. And, and he says, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles that was brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? This is like asking Michael Jordan, did you play for the Bulls? Like, what was that like? Are you a basketball player? He he has no idea about his own story. And then he does what he's probably done his whole life as as a spoiled young prince. He just tries to use money and his influence to, to pay Daniel off. Look at verses 14 through 16. He he says, I'm gonna give you a robe and gold. I'll give you a position, Daniel, if you can interpret the handwriting on the wall. And I love Daniel's answer. Daniel's like, hey, you can keep all the gifts. I, I don't want any of that stuff. And remember, we all the way back to chapter one. Again, that he resolved in his heart, like, personally, I'm gonna follow God no matter no matter what comes next, right? And here's what's next is, is another king, Belshazzar, and another interpretation, another thing. And Daniel says, I don't want your gifts. And we talked about when we resist the gifts of Babylon, we, we receive the gifts of heaven. And one of the gifts that God has continued to pour out upon Daniel is his spirit. And the spirit of insight and wisdom and understanding And so Daniel says, I don't want your money, I don't want your gifts, but I'll tell you what this means. And beginning in verse 17, you can follow along with me through 21, Daniel tells Belshazzar the story of Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor. He says, here's what happened 23 plus years ago when Nebuchadnezzar was king. Here's the story of how God got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar's heart and humbled him here's the dreams that happened in the ways that that they were interpreted and and Nebuchadnezzar like crawled around like an animal you'll remember last week you know he crawls around like a like a cow in the field the scripture says eating the grass and the dew kind of resting on his back and he was driven away from human society he was humbled so that he could look up to heaven and acknowledge the one true god and and what's what's fascinating here it's almost like Daniel is telling Belshazzar his story for the first time. Like no one no one has told Belshazzar the story of his family and the life uh, in, in Babylon and the, the ways that God was trying to get the Babylonian king's attention and humble them and turn their attention towards him. You know, I wrote here in my notes, no one should have to tell you your story. Like I'm wondering your story, your family, your life, Like, do do you know the the lineage of your family and the story of your family and the story of faith and the story of the work of God in your life? I I, I wonder if God were to write on the walls of your heart in your life, what would he say? What would God write today to get your attention, to remind you of his presence, to remind you of his story? No one else should have to tell you or remind you of your story but here we see Daniel telling this young king, Belshazzar, who's all he wants to do is party. Hey, do you know what God has done in your family? Do you know the story of God and how he's tried to humble you to get your attention? I, I'm going I'm, to say it this way. Belshazzar's lack of understanding of His story and his lack of understanding of the one true God, his lack of humility, it actually cost him his life. This is the last night that Belshazzar will live. He's going to be killed on this very night, right in the middle of the party. And in part, he's killed because he refuses to understand and know his story and turn his attention to the one true God. He's, he's in the, the, the inside of the Babylon, right behind these walls that he thinks could never be overcome. And here come the Medes and the Persians bearing down the city, and he's, he's drinking with his friends and he's not paying any attention to what God is doing. I, I just wonder for us, I, I wonder what that can mean in our own lives. In the ways that we try to comfort ourselves and we try to numb ourselves to the things that are happening around us, Daniel's eyes were wide open his whole life. He understood and saw the work of God. And he paid attention to his own story and the story that God was writing. I wonder about you. Do we Are we paying attention to what God's doing? If he's writing those words on your wall, what would he say? Here's what he wrote to Belshazzar. Here were the words. Daniel says, I'm going to tell you what it is. And he says, this is the message that God has sent to you. you know, basically, he says, you, know, you haven't humbled yourself. You, you know, Nebuchadnezzar at least humbled himself. You, you never have. You've never turned your attention to the, to the one true God because you never really knew the story. And so here's the words that God has for you. Here's the message. The message that is written is this, mine, mine, tekel, parson. And this is what it means. Numbered, numbered, weighted, and divided. You say, Chris, like what in the world? Like what does that have to do with anything? Well, this is like, a, this is an Aramaic expression. And what's interesting is Aramaic was the language of the day. In other words, Belshazzar and his nobles should have been able to read this and interpret it, but it's almost like this is a metaphor for his whole life. You should have been able to read this, the story of your life, and interpret it and live in wisdom out of that, but you didn't. You were unable to read the story of God in your own life, and therefore you never interpreted it, you never applied it. What it means is that numbered, numbered are the days of Babylon, and, and, and it's being weighted and it's been found wanting. And specifically, Belshazzar, you've been weighted and you've been found wanting. And so your kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon is going to be divided. Numbered, numbered, weighted, and divided. You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we might apply wisdom to our hearts. There's something about knowing the finiteness of our lives. You know, Someone once asked Billy Graham, what's, what's the greatest surprise? What's the greatest thing that you've learned uh, that you didn't know throughout your life, but that you've learned now? What's been the greatest surprise? And without hesitation, he said, it's brevity. Numbered, numbered, weighted, and divided. Our days are numbered. So, so Lord, teach us to number our days. Let us know that our, our days here on earth are numbered. And that, that our lives are going to be weighted. They're going to be measured. And without Jesus, without his working in our life, without accepting him and, and what he's done for us through the, the truth of the gospel, it's going to be divided. And the Bible says that Jesus holds all things together. And so without placing our faith in him and our trust in him for his work in our life, everything in our little kingdoms are going to be divided. What we see happening here at the end of part one of Daniel in chapter five is we see, if you will, the curtains falling on the kingdom of Babylon. And it happens through this young king, Belshazzar. But the truth, guys, is that the curtains are going to fall on our kingdoms, On our stories, on our days, the the curtains will fall, but they'll never fall on the story of God. The bottom line is this today. Numbered, numbered, weighted, and divided. Our days are numbered. Our lives are gonna be measured. And without Jesus, they'll be divided. We're gonna continue the story of Daniel in chapter six, as we start uh, part two in a couple weeks. I hope you'll come back and join us for that. Let's pray together today. God, would you teach us to number our days that we might apply wisdom to our hearts? Help us to know your story and in that, find our own stories from the story that we heard today about a young king that just wants to party his life away, would you help us to humble ourselves, to recognize that there's no place in our lives and in this world that we can escape your hand? And may that comfort us for those of us who feel disappointed and lonely and discouraged. And may that in a right way frighten us for those of us who feel like we don't need you, God, and we don't remember your goodness and your might and your power. May you humble us through that. As we finish this first part of Daniel's story and we learn so many lessons from him, I pray today for each of my friends that you would give us wisdom to know what you're speaking to us through this story, through your word today, and that you would also give us faith and courage to take it and apply it to our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, as part of our response to God's word today, we're gonna to receive communion. So I wanna encourage you to, to gather elements together at your house if you're able. And if you need to hit pause and gather them, you know, go for it now. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks for it. And he broke it saying, this is my body that is given for you. And likewise, he took a cup filled with wine. He said, this cup represents my blood. That's shed for you, and it represents a new covenant that I'm that I'm making in my blood. We, the word covenant, you know, we've taught this before. It it means promise. So what Jesus was saying is, I'm making a new promise with you, and the promise is this: that as you give your life to me, I'll give you my life. I'm, I'm laying down my life for you, my body and my blood given for you. So I want to encourage you to just take a few moments and consider the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus said that night with his disciples, as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim my sacrifice. In other words, you proclaim the goodness of the gospel that Jesus did for us, what we could not do for ourselves. And that it's by grace through faith that we receive that, not of our works, so that no one can boast. That's the glory and the goodness of the gospel. And we're reminded of the gospel what Jesus has done, the good news, through these elements today. So take a few moments and reflect, and when you're ready, take the bread, take the cup, and celebrate the gospel and goodness of Jesus in your life today.
1: Thanks so much for worshiping with us today, New City family. If you would, no matter where you are right now, extend your hands for benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Turn his countenance to you and give you peace. Have a great week, New City.